We are the Bulwark, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. Coming to you from a micro wormhole inside the Delta Quadrant from Podfleet Command. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome everyone to Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. We're so happy you're here. Thanks for downloading and thanks for listening. This is episode number 132. Wow, that just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. And um, we've got a great episode on tap for you today. And by we, of course, I mean my co-host and I. He's uh, got a slight maple addiction problem, which I'm sure you'll hear about later, but uh, he's working through it. We've got him a sponsor, and he's going through the steps right now. He's the uh, <laughs> he's the very sappy Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Sappy. I see what you did there. That was great. That, I'm, how are you, man? I'm, I'm doing awesome. I'm, I'm so happy to be here for episode 132, Send Your Ships. Uh, yeah, very excited about today's topic and very excited to be here with you and all our listeners, as always. Oh, it's, uh, I look forward to today's episode. We're going to talk about um, actually an episode I really, really enjoy. And I know that's hard to believe when we're talking about it in the context of Star Trek Voyager which admittedly is not my favorite Star Trek series, but um, I think it's a, an early first season episode that shows a lot of promise. It shows a lot of promise, and I'm very surprised that uh, you you were, you were big into this episode because I think this is the only series that you have not watched all of, if I'm not mistaken. Sorry, swallowing coffee. I, that is I heard that. That was, true. that was good. Yeah, okay. Well, let's have some more. I'll talk for a while. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's 100% true. I, I struggle usually when I get to about season five when it becomes the Doctor and Seven show. Mm. And um, and the writers really just sort of just don't deliver their best, as it were. I mean, but to, but early on in Voyager, seasons one, two, three, there, there are some really Star Trek episodes, and I think this is one of them. Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head. Star Trek episode indeed, and this is a great one. It's got a great a great Star Trek story, which I know we're going to discuss uh, in detail uh, as we go along in our discussion today. But uh, one of the reasons we decided to to pick this episode, which I don't even know if we've said what it is. It's Jatrell. So surprise, surprise. There you go. Um, is if you recall last week, we were talking with Andy Fark with Cedar Skip at DS9 season two. And we brought up uh, James Sloyan. And we've talked several times about how he's one of our favorite uh, guest uh guest appearance people on Star Trek. So we decided to pick one of the best of his performances with Voyager season one, Jatrell. Can't wait to talk about it. Guest appearance people. Yeah, that's good grammar, <laughs> Ty. 
Is that a technical? <laughs> is that a technical term? It could be. It might be going into the manual pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Dan, about that. Speaking of things that may go into the manual, one of the things we want to be sure there is to tell my new co-host someday <laughs> how to let people get in touch with us. And I think you still have some data about that. Might you regale the listeners with how they could get us their thoughts, questions, comments, suggestions, or um, or, or their favorite James Sloyan roles? Well, there are a lot of James Sloyan roles to choose from, and it's easier than ever to get in touch with us here at Trek Geeks. Just head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you'll find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts. And as always, we love hearing from everybody. So you can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can even fill out the contact form and type us a happy little message about anything that may be on your Star Trek mind. Plus, don't forget, you can kick kick you can kick the big blue button or you can click the big blue button on the right side of the website <laughs> and leave us a message using SpeakPipe. Sometimes I like to kick Bill. But anyway, as always, you can also join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. There is great stuff going on over there right now. There's a great poll going on about this very topic of James Sloyan. Uh, there's uh, Star Trek pictures, contests, cosplay stuff, all kinds of great things. People are gearing up for STLV in just a few short months. Plus, in addition, you will get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast even before they're released to the general populace. So just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer, and one of our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, will let you right in to join in on all the fun. But please, as always, remember that any of these comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, Bill. Back to you, Dan! <laughs> Sorry, I, I was struggling with thing to say, but um, that was a uh, that was fantastic. I, um, of course, you know you mentioned Camp Kittimer later on in our discussion of Detroit. We're going to talk about a little poll we conducted in Camp Kittimer, an informal one about um, the campers' favorite James Sloyan roles, and I've learned a lot about the campers in Camp Kittimer from this poll. The first of which is um, if you have an option that says yes. <laughs> Someone's going to create one that says all of them, even though that's what yes meant. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. <laughs> Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. What did, did you run out of power there at the end? What the hell was up with that? I was trying to mix it up a little bit, you know. What was that? Was the habit trail wheel not going fast enough? <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Dan, up first, you know, as we uh, deal with a lingering winter here in the Northeast, we've got some brand new details about Star Trek Cruise 3, which is going to go somewhere very warm and very nice. Star Trek Cruise 3, The Search for Warmth. Yes, it's coming up fast, and cabins are filling fast, Bill. Actually, uh, taking a look at the website, it's already 60% booked 
and it's wow. still it's still like 10 months away. So uh, that's pretty awesome. Uh, one of the more exciting pieces of news that has come out about the Star Trek Cruise 3 is the latest captain has been added to the guest list who will be on that cruise. Jason Isaacs, our very own Captain Gabriel Lorca, will be joining uh, a whole bunch of people that are already set up uh, to be on this cruise, like Jonathan Frakes and Brett Spiner, Will Wheaton, Renee Abergenois, Casey Biggs, Mary Chifo, and you know, there's just so many others I could go on and on and on. Um, just to get out to get all the details, just head right on over to Star Trek the uh, for more details and booking information. And that's something I just th- that's got to be on my bucket list, man. I got to do one of these cruises one of these days. Well, I can tell you that the, the cruises aboard the Norwegian Jade, which is a beautiful ship. It's going to depart out of the port of Miami. It's going to go to Great Stirrup K. It's going to go to Grand Cayman, which is a fantastic island. I've been there. It's uh, it's just it's beautiful. And I'll, Jamaica. I mean, how does that go wrong with that itinerary? So, um, sixty percent full. You said that's amazing. Yeah, that's it's really great. I mean. Th- uh, the first one, I don't remember a lot about the first one, but I know that the one that took place this year, the reviews from people that have been on the cruise have just been phenomenal. It is a lot of fun. They turn the ship into Star Trek themed everything uh, and people just have a blast. You know, all of the guests mingle with everyone. And it's it's a very close knit group, as we all know, from STLV and and having it on a ship just sounds like a lot of fun. So I think we have to uh, seriously think about doing this at some point. January 4th through 10, 2019. That uh, it sounds like a great winter getaway, but uh, yet we digress because I would love to be somewhere warm right about now. Um, Dan, so there's an update for Star Trek Mission Crate, the special Star Trek themed loot crate that uh, is being sent out. And um, we both finally got ours. Finally. Wow. Yeah, there have been a couple of delays. Um, I think it was initially supposed to come out before Christmas. Then they came out with a delay We'll say it'd be out in February. Then they came out with a delay saying the end of February and then March rolled around and both you and I were scratching our heads. Uh, what's going on here? So, um, we did finally receive them this week. Um, we'll get into what's in them in just a minute, but I did want to, you know, bring up the fact that, you know, customer service is very important to me and I think it's very important to you. And I got to say, when we both reached out to, uh, loot crate in regards to this Star Trek mission crate, we weren't very impressed with the uh, assistance or lack thereof that we got. Wouldn't you say? Oh, I, that's that's doing a disservice to how I feel. Um, I, I thought it's some of the worst service I've ever received. So I opened a support case because I wanted to know, you know, what the process was for cancellation. And since they had already charged us twice, and we hadn't received anything at that point, not even the first crate. Um, I, I wanted to know how I could get my money back. And so I started, it took three or four replies and before they actually said, well, your box is actually shipped. And then I got a tracking number and I said, well, what's the process for cancellation? Should I decide to, if I cancel, would I get the money back from the second box that you've charged me for that, uh, <laughs> when I still haven't gotten anything shipped out to me. And they dodged that question three or four times before they finally said, um, yeah, we, we can cancel you if that's what you want. So, um, And this is all happening over email. So there was no real good method right. by which to get somebody on the phone. But the more this process has taught me is that um, if I had gotten somebody on the phone, they would not have been helpful either, most likely. Now, you reached out to 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 Loot Crate support too, didn't you? 
Yeah, I did. Um, I just wanted to basically, I, I had seen a couple of people had had mentioned on Camp Kittimer that uh, they had received theirs or that they had a tracking number. So I wanted to find out what was going on with mine. So I emailed saying, hey, I'd just like to find out what's going on. Can I get a tracking number? And they replied back. Actually, the first reply wasn't that bad, but um, there was something in there that irked me. They said, yeah, your tracking number is available if you go into your account and click on blah, 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 blah. And he said, and you'll be happy to know that your package is in in sh- is in uh, shipping. There's a tracking label that's been created, so you should be receiving it soon. So I'm like, oh, great. So I go to the site. I find the tracking number. I click on it. It brings me to the delivery company. And it's just basically the pre-shipping label that was printed like back in February 12th or something like that. We're now in March 3rd or something like that. So I reply back and I, you know, I, I kind of was a little hot under the collar. So I said, you know, I appreciate the information, but I don't like being treated like a child because I can read just like you can. And this shipping label is three weeks old and nothing's happened with it. So I'm not happy. I, I actually expressed that I would be discussing my um, experience with Loot Crate on my podcast for Star Trek. And then I got an email just a, few minutes later saying oh if you take a look at the at the shipping label it says that it's going to be delivered tomorrow this actually I, I apologize it was the next day it was a few minutes later i was talking about something else but so the next day i get an email saying that oh it's going to be delivered tomorrow so from the time that i clicked on the link and it showed that it was still in pre-shipment all of a sudden magically after i complained it was going to be delivered the next day and it was i'll, I'll give them that it was delivered the next day but not thrilled yeah, this this whole rollout from from Loot Crate has been an absolute disaster, and uh, as a as a consumer, it it really disgusts me because I expect more of companies that are going to carry the Star Trek license. Um, you know, I had regular Loot Crate before and never had an issue, but I think the more that they branched out, um, the, the more it's it's exposed how not ready for prime time they are. Yeah, I have to agree uh, on that. Uh, I have not received a loot crate in the past. This was my first experience uh, with this company. Not thrilled uh, on the initial launch and the delays and such. But I will say, and we're going to get into your thoughts on it also, I was really impressed with the packaging itself that it came in um, when it arrived and and the contents were were pretty cool. Um, I'm not I'm not overly disappointed. Um, I'm going to give it another round before I decide whether or not I'm going to keep it up because it's my understanding that the next mission crate is going to be Klingon themed. Um, but uh, what did you think about the packaging uh, that that it came in? I was I was very impressed with the boxing. You know, I thought that the box itself was was really kind of cool. You know, it's it looks like the the shuttlecraft Galileo from the original series. You know, it's shaped just like it. All the the box art on the outside looks like the shuttlecraft Galileo has landed at your mailbox. It's it's fantastic. I, uh, I appreciate the level of detail they put it out. And even the inside of the box looks like the interior of the shuttlecraft, which I thought yeah. was some really nice detail. Very cool. Very cool. I, I enjoy it. That's one of the things I'm like, oh, my God, this is cool. And I was very careful opening it because it's something that I might want to hold on to because it is so neat. Um, and on the inside, um, spoiler alert, if you're if you're going to be receiving one and you don't know what what's inside, you might want to you know fast forward a couple of minutes. But we're going to talk about the uh, the contents. Um the Locutus figure was was uh, very well done. It ha- it's a great uh, resemblance to Jean-Luc Picard as Locutus. The one thing I'm disappointed about is that it does not move at all. It's stationary. You can't move arms or legs or head or anything like that. Um, what did you think about that? 
I thought it was a really beautiful rendering of of Patrick Stewart. You know, it's it's some it's obviously better than the Playmates look cutest action figure <laughs> from the nineties. <90s. laughs> yeah. um, but you know, it's it, it's one of those QMX things. So I, I believe that its its level of quality is going to be superior already, right? They're a partner in this loot crate. So I imagine we're going to see a lot of things from them. So mm-hmm. I thought that that figure was tremendous, quite honestly. Yeah, it, it's it's sitting at my work cube right now. Um, you'll see it uh, the next time we go to work. And the other thing that I liked in there, there was other stuff. But the other thing, there was a, a starship of the uh, model of the Enterprise D, which came with its own stand, uh, which I was I was very impressed with after I opened it. It's got the base and it has the NCC one seven zero one D, and then a little a little stand for the for the uh, actual ship to sit on. And I was getting ready to put it together, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at the ship, and I'm like, "There's no place to put this stand on the ship. What's going on here?" Well, it's magnetized, so you don't have any cut into the ship for the stand you can put the, the ship at different um you know angles in a 360 view type of thing i was very impressed with how they did that stand i wish a lot more other places would do it with magnets because it looks fantastic duck your ships <laughs> <laughs> no i do think the little mini ship is cool i i like the t-shirt i thought that um i guess the theme of the crate was wolf 359 if i'm not yes, mistaken correct uh, the t-shirt is fantastic um the discovery badge is is great i have mm-hmm. one already mm-hmm. um but i think that that was probably thrown in as a bonus maybe um the star trek online thing i have i've already redeemed as i as we'll talk about in a little bit and uh was there something else that i'm forgetting um there was oh geez yeah i'm thinking about a couple of things i'm trying to remember um i can't remember and it's at work right now so i can't open it and look at it <laughs> Because I it brought stand, it to work. <laughs> mine's downstairs. But no, product-wise, I thought that the products selected were were decent and worth the money for the crate. I, I don't think that they skimped on the merch at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to agree with that as well. And and to, to Luke Rate's credit, we don't want to bash them completely. When they had their first delay, they decided to send out a little mini crate to all of the subscribers with a couple – you know, a few little things in there to, to, uh, uh, to apologize for the delay. So they, they, they tried. Um, and I'm just hoping, let's see what happens with the next one. If there's no delay on it and there's some good stuff in it, I'm willing to keep it going, man. Cause, cause after all it is Star Trek stuff, right? It is. And it's, it's specifically tailored for fans. So, uh, let's hope that they write the ship and, and get their act together because their debut is not so impressive unfortunately yeah it was like a first season episode of like tng or yeah yeah (laughs) yeah sorry amy Amy nelson yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome uh dan moving on it looks like he who will always be captain james t kirk is going to be in our neck of the woods this spring and one of us will be attending this amazing event yeah one of us will all right. Anyway, moving along. No, <laughs> uh, William Shatner. Yes, as you said, forever will be known as Captain Kirk is going to be on tour in nine U.S. cities this spring to host special screenings of Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, which is pretty awesome. Um, it's going to be kicked off in Milwaukee, Wisconsin later this month and will be concluding in Newark, New Jersey later on in May. But one of the stops is going to be in Concord, New Hampshire, which, like you said, is right in our neck of the woods. And, uh, Bill, I believe you have already purchased your ticket. And I know that you're going to have a great time at both the screening and the special Q&A session that Mr. Shatner will have. 
Sadly or happily, I'm not really sure which, I will be unable to attend because I'm going to be frolicking around at the Magic Kingdom with my family that week. Uh, but I know that Trek Geeks will be well represented by Mr. Bill Smith. You know, I, I have a hard time feeling bad for you because you um, you went to the premiere for Star Trek Discovery in L.A., you ass- <laughs> wow okay yeah i think that one wins but uh, have a great time with uh with the chat <laughs> <laughs> i will i will and secondly the thing that blows my mind about this is shatner has said for decades he's never watched star trek that's very interesting so, so is he gonna watch this movie has he watched this movie um is he just relying on q a based on the fact that he was there <laughs> <laughs> Should be a very but, interesting conversation. But this seems like, you know, uh, probably an event that isn't going to happen ever again, most likely. Um, you know, because when are they going to get around to Concord, New Hampshire again? Probably right. never. Right. So it's like, yeah, I got to go to this. So it, it's definitely really worth it to me. And I can't wait to attend it. I hope you have a great time. I uh, I know you're going to have fun. I know it's going to be interesting to hear what he has to say. And uh, um, I think George Takei has done something similar like this in the past. Yes. So hopefully other cast members will do it and then uh, we'll be able to uh, go together, which is kind of funny that uh, it was only it was two years ago this weekend, I believe, that we went to the Star Trek uh, concert orchestra thing. Yeah. That's so. So, yeah, have a good time. Bye. <laughs> All right. See you later. I'll do the rest of the show myself. It'll be great. Um <laughs> And then lastly, not really news, but we mentioned a little bit ago the special Star Trek Online code in the uh, the Star Trek Mission Crate. And I've decided now that i got a brand new kick-ass laptop, I'm going to see if I can struggle through Star Trek Online and get the hang of it because I'm not really great with PC games. Well, what really are you great with, Bill? But anyway, I'm excited that, uh, that you're going to be playing this game. I haven't played it in a while. I've gone back and forth, uh, gone to it left it for a while, gone back. So now that you're back in it, that means that I'm going to have to fire it up on my kick-ass laptop also because we have actually the same laptop. Um, but uh, I'm look, I'm looking forward to playing with you, man. I, I'm going to put that code in, going to get the special ship, and uh, we're going to have some fun. I'm looking forward to it. Get the special ships. <laughs> um, the th- anyway, so I, I dropped this on Twitter, and I had a, a bunch of people you know, reply to me, not the least of which was was Terry Lynn, our, our mm-hmm. dear friend. As, who just who absolutely can't wait for me to start plowing through this. So I'm a total noob. I mean, you've played more MMO-type games than than me by far because, I mean, you've played Warcraft yep. for years. I've never done any of that. So it's a bit daunting of a task to me because as someone who's not used to that style of gaming, it can be a little overwhelming at times. It can be very overwhelming. I started playing um, MMOs like, oh, God, Elf everquest i think way back 25 plus years ago and dark age of camelot of course i've been playing world of warcraft since it came out uh like 14 years ago but you know as daunting as it may be bill and as 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 high as the learning curve could be if star trek is involved it's gonna be awesome we've talked about other games that have come out that have star trek uh um like kind of put on top of it and they're fantastic because it's what we love so much so i know that you're gonna have a great time playing it well, and, and, you know, we'll update people on the podcast as to how my uh, tutelage is going. Maybe we'll do some Star Trek Online themed episodes with some Star Trek Online folks, because um, there are probably other noobs out there who've wanted to get involved and have just been sort of intimidated by the platform, honestly, because that's what held me back for the longest time, to, to be truthful. Yeah, that's true. And because, you know, as we've seen in STLV, we're all one family. So why not help each other and teach Bill? How to play Star Trek Online. <laughs> wow. 
Wow, look at you getting all Star Trekky on me. That's I don't know what to do with this because normally you're a big jerk. That's what I do. Being a big jerk, yeah, I agree. <laughs> So as we slingshot around the sun a couple of weeks ago, we asked all of you listening to tell us your story of your first memories of the original series to celebrate the release of the brand new to boldly cope pin from our friends at Fansats. And uh, we promised we were going to give five of those away. And the time has arrived to give away five of these magnificent pins, Dan. Where are your pins? Uh- <laughs> It's, we're on an Admiral Dougherty thing this week. It's kind of funny. But anyway, we yes. Really are, yeah. <laughs> you know, this pin is it's it's a beautiful rendition of the opening scene of TOS on an old style television. And it truly is one of Fansets finest works. We love it. Uh, we thank Fansets for for making it and for, of course, sponsoring Discovering Trek this year. Um, and we wanted to celebrate this pin by, like Bill just said, giving away five of the pins to some of our lucky listeners. So we gathered all of the uh, responses on Twitter with a special hashtag, and uh, we are very happy to announce the following five people have won this to boldly go pin, and here they are: Chris Condon at Fuzzy Man, New Hampshire. Congratulations! Also, congratulations to Tim Robertson at Tim Robertson fifty six. And Bill, I'm going to turn it over to you because my voice is about to go out for those final three. <laughs> God, I hate it when you throw me on the spot like that. Sorry about that. Um. Uh, and I was half listening. So you, which, <laughs> where did you get through? Actually, I'm okay because I was able to just clear my my my, uh, my throat. The power of the mute button, ladies and gentlemen, it is a <laughs> magnificent thing. So okay, moving right along. Thanks for not helping, Bill. Uh, Tom Durr, our good friend at TC Durr. Uh, also, Josh at Just a Geek One Seven Zero One, which is a very cool Twitter handle, I must say. And also, Mr. Sean Williams at Tool Trek. All five of you folks. Uh, are going to be sporting some new fan sets uh, swag with the awesome Too Bold to Go pin. Congratulations. We will get in touch with all of you uh, to ship that uh, that new pin right out to you as soon as possible. It's so exciting. This is one of my favorite fan sets pins, too. I mean, it just, it, it's so reminiscent of my childhood, and I, I'm so very excited that everybody's won. Now that I've actually gone back and looked at the list, uh, just five great Trekkies and all of whom have who've uh, interacted with us in one way or another over the years. So thank you so much for listening and congratulations to everybody. That's fantastic. Dan, speaking of which, we want to remind people that it's even easier now to subscribe to both Trek Geeks and also to our other podcast, Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion. Head on over to podfleet.com and find out how you can get both of our podcasts directly on your iPod, iPhone, Android, or other device. Plus, and People are just starting to realize this now, and this is fantastic. You can actually stream our podcasts directly using iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or even the planet's largest streaming service, Spotify. It's your independent Star Trek podcasts delivered your way, so join our pod fleet and make it so. God, I read that like a pro. Do You do. I don't want to oversell it. So, Dan, <laughs> we've gathered today to talk about the first season Voyager episode, Jatrell which I'm very excited about. Yeah, I'm very excited about this as well. It's it's one of the it's one of the finest episodes of season 1. It's got a great guest uh as as Jatrell himself and it really it really hits what Star Trek is all about right on the head. It's a perfect episode to talk about uh on Trek Geeks and and 
I'm really excited to get right into it because it's cool. I rewatched it uh, just the other night, and I'm not going to lie. Tears in my eyes at the end of the episode. It's very powerful. Loved it. I think this is a really ambitious story for Voyager's first season. You know, at, um, th- certainly there are episodes that are good in every first season of Star Trek. But I think that this is probably among the, you know, the two or three best episodes that Voyager had to offer in its freshman outing. And I think that that says a lot about the writing at this particular phase of the series. The other thing that strikes me is this is actually a really great Neelix story. And they gave him a lot to do and a lot to work through in this episode. And I thought that that was the most interesting thing looking back at it in hindsight. What about you? Wait a minute. Did you say that this is a great or decent Neelix story? It actually is. That's fantastic because you don't get to say that very much. No, no, like in, <laughs> in human history. <laughs> no, I agree with you 100%. I mean, ambitious is is an understatement. This is a story about a weapon of mass destruction. And and they they brought it to us in the first season of Voyager. And they did it in a way that was, that was um, tasteful, if that makes any sense at all. And it really opened up a lot of questions about the whole you know, both sides of a war, which we'll get into, but I agree. It's a very good Neelix story. Um, either did a great job, uh, in this role. The one thing that always drove me crazy about this episode though, is the fisheye lens that they used a lot of times when they were showing Neelix's face. And he's got those little crazy eyebrows that kind of like go everywhere. And it kind of threw me off a little bit. <laughs> so he's, he's got Dan Davidson eyebrows is what you're saying. Egg, absolutely. Martin Scorsese. He's got nothing on me. <laughs> You know, the other thing that strikes me about this, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, is that this is a classic Star Trek morality play. You know, it, there's a there's a really horrible thing, and it has to become somewhat digestible to one of the main protagonists in our cast. And I think they really tell this story with such perfection, another word I don't use with Voyager very often, that it's hard to not like this episode. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and it's hard to not like a character that's, I'm sorry, I, I hate to say it, is not easy to like sometimes. You know, sometimes the Neelix character could be very, um, very aggravating for me. Kess could be very aggravating for me at times also. But in this story, you can't be aggravated with them. Um, it, it's, it's, they, they both acted so well and the characters, you can see what the characters, especially Neelix, is going through. Now, I will say, I'm going to be a hypocrite right now. I get very aggravated with Neelix for certain things in this episode, but it's not the character itself that I'm aggravated, if that makes any sense whatsoever. What aggravates you specifically? Because this is the first I've heard this. He's a jerk in this episode to Jatrell. And I understand the reason. And that's one of the the interesting points about this this episode. And we've talked about our humanity over on discovering Trek. And as soon as I was rewatching this episode, that's what I started thinking about that segment that we use on that show. And it's amazing to me how he is with Jatrell throughout the episode. And it, it's, it's very unneelix like, but we find out the reason why at the end, but still it's just something that bothered me a lot. Well, we can dive into that now. It's a, it's a bullet point for later, but you know, we're here, so let's unpack it. You know, it's it's totally because of his guilt. I mean, you know, he's told people for years that that he was there. And in a way, he was there, but he wasn't there because he wasn't doing what he said he was doing. Um, so, I mean, I, I think he's got a lot to feel guilty about because for years he sort of had this bluster like, yeah, yeah, I served. 
yeah, I was there. Right. The Ryan Axe. And um, it, it turns out that, no, he was trying to duck it all. And I think that's why he's a big jerk to, to Jatrell is because all that guilt is coming back home for him. And now he's actually got to deal with it. Right. Yeah. He's a draft dodger for all intents and purposes. Right. Um, yeah. What I found interesting and in, in the dilemma, what was going on between Neelix and Jatrell is I totally understand where Neelix is coming from. 300,000 people got killed from this from this device that Jatrell invented, but didn't he didn't use it, but he was the scientist who invented it. So I can understand it. But at the same time, it's easy for us to do because we're not Talaxians or uh, Haconians. If it was reversed... Neelix, I, I guarantee you, Neelix wouldn't have had the problem if it was the Talaxians that used it on the Conians. It's kind of a hard dilemma and hard argument to to talk about when you're talking about something like this with a weapon of mass destruction when you have both sides of the war to see what they're thinking at the time. Does that make sense? No, it does. And I think that's the other really significant conflict for Neelix, right, is that he's got to you know, learn how to deal with the humanity of all of this. Not only does he have to deal with his own guilt, but he's got to come to the realization that, you know, Jatrell may not be this monster that he's painted him as. Um, and we're going to talk about the sort of Jatrell's arc in just a second, but, you know, Neelix has a lot to to work through and, and this understanding of, of his enemy is, is a theme that that's very Star Trek overall. And I think that's uh, those things. And in, in addition to the scene where Neelix really admits, you know, his, uh, his guilt to Cass, I think is really what propels this episode over the top. Yeah, absolutely. It does. One of the things that I found myself also thinking about in regards to the, to the weapon itself is hindsight's always twenty twenty, And I'm actually surprised this type of dialogue never came up in the episode. It would have been interesting if Neelix had said, because we talk about whether Starfleet would have done certain things over on Discovery. Well, we would have never used that weapon. That was never said. It was never discussed. Would they have? Would they have, If they had come up with a weapon that would have ended the war, would they have used it the way that Jatrell's people did? That's another argument and another another piece of this puzzle and this story that really makes it fascinating to to watch and to think about. It really is. Um, in fact, that's a, a term in which I, I didn't think about this episode, but as you bring it up, it's it's really thought-provoking. You know, there are certainly times in our history where we've developed that kind of thing. And and even in Jatrell's arc, I mean, he goes from sympathetic to unsympathetic to sympathetic all over again. You know, he starts off as sort of Robert Oppenheimer who created the atomic bomb. And the writer's do something really skillful and make him seem incredibly horrible. Like he could be a Joseph Mengele, you know, with, uh, once he gets the sample beamed aboard and it looks like he's conducting some sort of experiment. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, he, he obviously knocks Neelix out with the hypo. You wonder, well, what's his, his real motivation. And then you realize that he's really just trying to undo the damage that, that he, he wrought upon the Talaxians. So it's, he, he, he gets a very complex arc in this one episode and it's, it's really skillful to watch, you know, as you look at him go from the sort of sympathetic, I created this thing and I didn't mean to, to create this thing to the, the sort of, he's taking matters into his own hands and, and, (laughs) and putting Neelix, you know, under a sedative, you start to wonder 
what is this guy really doing? And at that point, you're really kind of bought in as the viewer. You are. And it was a good way to do it because, like you said, even from the beginning of the episode, he was not he wasn't apologetic for what happened. But you could tell that he was, you know, he had he had issues with what had happened. So the entire episode, even though he doesn't show it, of course, which is which is good writing, is he's trying to undo something that he did. The the scene where he talks about his family and how they left and how he had become the monster that he feared people thought he was, was very powerful. But the way that they were able to do this where, like you said, sympathetic, unsympathetic, and you're like, okay, what's he really doing when the whole time he really was trying to undo what he did by bringing people back who were incinerated? That's just mind-blowing to me that he spent the last, what, couple decades or decade and a half figuring out a way to try at least uh, to get these Talaxians back to being people. It was, it was really amazing. I loved it. Well, well, and it's a ticking clock, too, because he realized he, he reveals that he's got metremia. Right. You know, he, he beams aboard under the aspect that, well, you know, I got to check Neelix for this disease. And then he lies to Neelix about having it. And then, you know, he reveals he's got it himself. So, you know, he's, he's more than motivated to try to finish this work. And then at the end, when you realize that it's it's really just too far gone, you you get this this resignation from him. You see it on 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 Sloyan's face. You know, like has it all been for nothing? And it's really, like you said, it's really deep and powerful. It is, and you know, he. I, I don't agree with the with Neelix's discussion that he was the reason that these three hundred thousand people died because he didn't. You know, we, we talk about it in, in today's society. We may have the weapons, but it's not the designers of the weapons that decide to use them. Um, it's it's the idiots who decide to use them that are the ones that should be taking the blame or the majority of the blame. And but he's lived with this burden since it happened, and he's spent all of this time trying to undo it. And when it the realization that it's not going to work, that's going to be just as bad as the day the weapon went off in my mind. Yeah, no, I, without a doubt. I, um, as I, as I, you know, I watched this episode probably three times this week in preparation. And the more I think about it, the more I think there's still a lot to unpack. And I think I need to watch it a fourth time, um, simply just to, to pick up all the, the subtle things because, you know, in the, in the conflict between Neelix and, and Dr. Jatrell, it is just so extremely well acted. Yeah, you mentioned earlier Neelix was being a jerk, but it's not over the top. And the scenes between both James Sloyan and Ethan Phillips really are just are, are special in this episode. They are fantastic. I love the initial. Uh, actually, it's not the initial. It's the, it's the first. Well, it's the initial time they're face to face, not view screen. When Jatrell is is discussing what he's trying to do and Neelix just interrupts him. Why are you doing this? That's a very powerful moment because you can see that Neelix doesn't believe anything that this guy is dishing out. And he's just goading him and baiting him into saying something that he's going to be able to pounce on. And it's brilliantly acted by both Ethan and James. I love that scene. It's really great. And, and really all of their scenes together. You know, when Neelix comes to sickbay later on, just before he gets the hypo spray, you know, he comes there, he's had a change of heart, you know, to some extent. And then he realizes that there's a sample there with something really not right going on. Mm. And his, his sympathy turns to, to, you know, to outrage, you know, in just a, in, in a split second. And at that point, 
you know, Jatrell knows that what he's doing is is in jeopardy now. Yeah. You know, forget the fact that he could have gone to them, you know, from the outset, which is always the sort of you see Timmy moment in all these types of episodes. <laughs> if if you'd only talked to us, we would have helped you. You know, if you'd communicated. But you know, Jatrell realizes that you know this this is this is going to undo everything that I'm trying to do here. So he 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 puts Neelix out. And that that scene is just it's it's really really well done, uh, you know. I I overlooked it the first couple of times I watched it, and then probably the third time I, I watched the episode this week, I'm like, wow, it's just there's it's really subtle, and it's for me, it's I think it's one of the best scenes of the episode. I mean, their conflict early on, like you said, their first face to face, is just is fantastic. It's it's a wonderful wonderful scene, but this. That really short bit where Neelix enters sickbay, I think is just really, it really illustrates how well both of these actors work with the script. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can, you said a split second and it literally is. He's all, you know, you know, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this. And then he sees the, the mass moving around in that containment field and he, it, he turns on a dime and it's, it's really well done. That brings up a question that I have, Bill, in regards to that scene. And we know that Jatrell is is on um borrowed time so to speak i think one of the mistakes that jatrell made at least it's it's assumed on my part because it's never really talked about is he never shared anything about what he was doing with anyone maybe because as a halconian or i I think that's how you pronounce it um he couldn't tell anybody of his race what he was doing because they were at war with the talaxians and this that and the other thing but because he was the only one working on this and the only one with the data and the knowledge that's it. Nobody could, it's quite possible. Somebody could have picked up on what he was doing and helped him so that it could have continued on after he died. And I thought that was a big mistake on his part because who knows what could have happened later on down the road with, with what was left uh, with, with right Well, and I think that's all through his guilt. You know, he's processing his own as Neelix has mm-hmm. and, and you know, to work through his guilt, he's, he's got to find this, this solution. And I think that, that's really the only reason why. Yeah, it's a it's a huge mistake on his part because who knows what they could have done, you know, years ago. You know, maybe if 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 he'd worked, you know, with a team of people, maybe they could have have gotten to this sooner, and maybe it would have been possible. Right. But that's the new guilt he'll have to live with for the remainder of his days. If he hadn't been so short sighted about trying to find this cure, for want of a better word. If he'd brought other people in or, or or maybe gotten some help to try to undo this, maybe he could have changed the outcome. So he go he enters this episode with one form of guilt and leaves with one completely different. I think what's kind of humane, if you want to look at it this way, is at least for his part, I I I I think it's great for someone who created this weapon to be spending the rest of his life, literally trying to undo it in some way. I think that's very honorable for such a dishonorable thing that started the whole cycle in progress but i think the humane thing is is he realizes that it's not going to work luckily he only lives for a few more hours because you imagine the guilt of of all that work that you've done for nothing and you weren't going to be able to do anything else about it and then having to live with that for a long time double living the long the long uh guilt thing well and and in the process right i mean his wife thinks he's a monster yeah you know uh, he, he started as a man of science and he's turned into this this devil, if you will, um, somebody that, that his own wife can't even stand, you know, because of, of what it means, because of, of what it did. Absolutely. And and that's something he's had to live with up until this point. And then to realize that, you know, the hope of, of trying to, to, to put these, 
these molecules back together as as talaxians is gone. Like you said, it's it's he's lucky that he only lives for a few more hours after that, unfortunately. But um, it, it's it, it's got to be debilitating, you know. Did that hasten his demise? We don't know. Yeah, it's it would have been interesting if if I recall correctly. I don't think that Jatrell or Neelix's experience with him or with the Talaxian Defense Force is ever really brought up again. It would have been interesting to see if there was some kind of of discussion about that later on and how he has been since that final scene with Jatrell in this episode. I think we're going to talk about that aspect of Neelix a little bit later in our central questions. Um, because <laughs> there's 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 a lot there to unpack simply as in the writing process. But um, I think one of the absolute highlights of this episode, as with any time he sets foot on the sets of Star Trek, is James Sloyan. We've talked about how he is one of our all-time favorite guest stars or guest actor people, or, or I think it was a term you used. I've forgotten already. Um, but this is by far um, a, a character that... I don't think many people could have pulled off. You know, I think of some of the other legendary next next gen guest stars, you know, or DS9 guest stars, like the Von Armstrongs of the world. And this character would have been good in the hands of somebody like Von Armstrong, but I don't think it would have been nearly as um I'm struggling for the word because I I, I think that Sloyan's performance is just that exceptional in this episode. It's powerful. And, and you're right. He has, you know, he's not a big name actor. And I don't mean that in a negative way. He's a great actor and he's been in a lot of stuff, but he's not one of these big billboard spotlight names that you recognize instantly, except unless you're maybe a, a Star Trek fan. But with that being said, the way that he is able to to get into every role that he has done in Star Trek, it's a it's a very very unique thing to be able to have several guest appearances on uh, these shows and be a completely different character and be able to pull it off the way that he does with no similarities between any of these characters. And he does it flawlessly. He's one of the best at what he, he, he does and has done uh, on Star Trek. I, I think he's just phenomenal. And especially in this role, it's very, very great job by, by Mrs. William. His characters have these subtle intensities, you know, and and we're going to talk about some of his characters in, in just a second. But in this one in particular, you know, we, we talked about Jatrell's arc. He's He's got to play the various aspects of that arc. And I think it's it's just done so amazingly well. Um, and I think that, that Sloan was just dialed into this character from the get-go. You know, so in Camp Kittimer this week, I threw up an informal poll on Facebook, which you can do. And again, facebook.com slash group slash Camp Kittimer. And um, I prefaced it this way. So this coming week, we'll be talking about the Voyager episode, Jatrell, which features one of our favorite Trek guest stars, James Sloyan. Which of Sloyan's Trek characters do you like the most? And I threw up his his four characters that he's played. On Star Trek. So, of course, there's Admiral Jarok in, in The Defector from Star Trek The Next Generation. There's Dr. Maura Pohl from Deep Space Nine's The Alternate and also The Begotten. There's uh, this character, Mabor Jatrell from uh, the eponymously named episode Jatrell. And then, of course, from TNG, there's also Kim Tar, who turned out to be adult Alexander, who was time traveling in the episode Firstborn. And, Dan, it might surprise you to learn that coming in at number one in the poll was Admiral Jarok from The Defector. 
Yeah, that does that actually doesn't surprise me. It was not my my uh, my pick, but that's first of all that's an amazing episode of TNG, and I think that might have something to do with it. Also, it's brilliantly written, it's brilliantly acted, and of course, anything with James is is awesome. Anyway, um, I think it's the one that stands out the most because it's such a powerful character, and he's got some similarities to Jatrell. I think with the whole he's never going to see his family, he's never going to see his home planet again uh, that we saw in the Defector. So there is some similarity there. But my pick was Doctor Mora Pole from from Deep Space Nine. I think the relationship between him and Odo is phenomenal, and um, there's a lot of give and take in that character with what he has to deal with, with how he raised Odo, and and um, uh, to answer your question, wasn't surprised at all to see Admiral Jarek as number one by a fairly big margin, too, I think. Yeah, well, coming in at number two with, you know, almost half the amount of votes was yes. <laughs> <laughs> or all of them, because I added both of them together. Um, so, so yeah, it's either Admiral Jarek or all of them are the number one and two choices. At number three was Dr. Maura Pohl, which is my personal favorite. Um the next uh, on the list is is Jatrell. Mm-hmm. And then last on the list with a single solitary vote from our friend Paul in Georgia is Kimtar from the TNG episode Firstborn. So, you know, it's, it's interesting that all of his roles speak to somebody, even the Alexander one, which I think is is performed exceptionally well in a really weak script. But um, it just it shows how much people truly enjoy the characters he's created in Star Trek. And I think that's really interesting to look at. I love you, Father. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you you have issues. You really do. I do. I do have to agree with you, though, Bill. Um, it's like everybody's trek is somebody's least favorite episode is somebody's favorite episode. We've talked about that several times. Um, and and over on Trek Ranks, they do the same thing. Same thing here. He's had so many characters. That's what's great about James Sloyne is he's played so many different characters that we have a lot to choose from. So somebody's least favorite is somebody's favorite. I guarantee you that somebody thinks that Jarrock is the least favorite of the James Sloyne appearances. I guarantee you that's out there. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. that's just a, a, an immutable law of the universe. Right. Yeah, it's the champion role in, you know, in effect. So we've talked about why this episode works pretty extensively. And I think we both agree that this is probably one of the best early episodes of Voyager, if not one of the best episodes overall. Um, it's, it's, it's a fair statement for me, and I don't know if it's one for you, but we'll go with it. How's mm-hmm. that sound? Absolutely. I agree. What elements of this episode don't work for you as much? Because there's got to be something. Yeah, I would say it's hard to pick something, but if I was going to be forced to pick some, if I had a phaser in my head and somebody had to say you have to pick something that doesn't work, the whole idea that um, these incinerated Talaxians on Rhinax could somehow still be in a state that they could be brought back is a little hard to take, even in science fiction. Um, so that, and and you saw when he was able to, um, uh, get that containment field and then you see that it looks like the 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 sludge monster or whatever it's called just like you know gooping around in there it's like okay he's gonna make a person out of that and you know just with using the transporter buffers that was the one thing that maybe didn't work i love the idea and i like that they wrote it in it's just a little bit too hard to to swallow i think that's the that's really the only thing that i could think of that that doesn't work, but it does work at the same time. I don't know. 
Yeah, no, I, I think it for me that works okay. I mean, because you forget that people are being broken down at the molecular level, which tells me at some point Chitrell is just going to disintegrate, in theory, um, and, and maybe become part of this this cloud, if you will, um, which is really weird to think that the people became a cloud. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to move on. What doesn't work for me is is the scenes in the in the pool hall, you know, in in Paris's holodeck simulation. The one at the beginning isn't as bad um, because it seems like they're they're telegraphing just a bit too much. But the sort of dream flashback that that Neelix has, where you know he's his own adversary and you see Kess has burnt up Palaxia from Talaxia, <laughs> which I know it's not Palaxia from Talaxia, but I, I can't help but say that because it, uh, it, it, it rhymes in my mind. <laughs> Palaxia the Talaxian. Wow. Uh, I know, right? Some amazing makeup work there though. Um, yeah. But that, that scene for me just, it, it doesn't really work at all. Um, they could have left that out and, and added some other context in there. And I think this episode would have been just as good. I think where that for me, I agree. That's, that's part of the whole fisheye lens thing that I was talking about earlier. That's kind of a, it's kind of a weird dream sequence, but I would say that if it weren't for the Neelix admitting his guilt scene, that wouldn't have worked at all because of the guilt scene where he admits what he did and, and that he was a coward that works a little bit more for me than it would have if that had not because he's dealing with his guilt he's dealing with the fact that he has to face this guy he's dealing with his memories of that burnt uh talaxian so it does work a little bit but it could have been in anywhere else but the holodeck at a pool hall i do agree with you there 100 percent. yeah that was a that was a a setting that just never worked for me in the series that in the uh the, the small little town um yeah, just it never worked for me. So that really was it, though. I think largely this is an episode that works all around and fires in all cylinders. That's just that one tiny scene that I wish had had just been cut out in favor of something else. Other than that, I think that this episode works perfectly. I think that this episode is the duet of season one of Voyager from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, no, and that that's perfect. Keep that in mind. That might come up later. <laughs> oh okay <laughs> hmm. Hmm. so you're you're telegraphing a callback i love this yeah. mm-hmm. um so let's move on to our central questions dan uh, because these are things that we like to to look at as we consider these episodes and the first question that came to my mind was this does jatrell get any kind of redemption here i think he gets tremendous redemption in this and it only lasts for like two seconds that final scene between neelix and and Detrell. and you know that Neelix was going to talk about he wanted to tell him that he was not he wanted to tell him his guilt. Um, you knew that's what he wanted to. But I think he realized that it wasn't going to do anything and he was running out of time. So he just, you know, he the, the way that that Neelix just kind of like moved forward a little bit and just very solidly said, I forgive you. Oh, my God. Just thinking about that scene, that hair in my arm is raising, it, it, raising up. It's it's so great. And that last breath of Sloyan with seeing Neelix say he's forgiven is all the redemption he needed before he died. I really think it was that powerful. I, I, I'm at a point where I agree with you on that specific one. And I, I disagree in a way because I think that while he gets redemption 
from Neelix, I don't think that Jatrell ever would have let himself feel redemption because ultimately he, he feels, you know, the, the guilt of, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of, of lives that were taken because of his creation. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And let me, let me put it in this scope as we have done before on the show and in, 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 in for a serious moment, I, I believe that that one moment was extremely powerful, but what you just yeah. said really lit, really, really lit something under me. And that is, we've talked about it with my guilt and my redemption. We've talked about how I've needed one specific thing to have the whole issue that I dealt with years ago be closed. But at the same time, I've also talked about it's something that I'm never going to be able to get over. I totally understand what you're saying when I look at it at that scope. Um, But I think that especially for Sloyan's character in this episode, because he was right at death, the last thing he heard was that forgiveness and that was all he needed. Um, so I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And, but I also feel that he, he did have that redemption that he needed before he died. That's fair. I, I can buy that. Um, so obviously we, we just discussed whether Jatrell gets any redemption. Does Neelix? Well, <sighs> I'll put it this way in my, in what my opinion of it is he gets redemption because we never hear about this again. And that's the fault of the writers. I think when you're dealing with something like this for as long as he has, and from personal experience, you don't, you don't get that redemption, but because we never saw it again, how can we know if he did or not? I mean, we saw so many aspects of all of the Star Trek spinoffs and so many other great shows out there where stuff continues along episode by episode, season after season. This never came up again that I can remember. So, yeah, I guess he feels okay about it. He forgave the guy and he's all set and good and he's not a coward anymore. But really, if I had to look at it at outside of what the writers did, no, he doesn't have redemption. He never will. No, I agree with that entirely. He... um. I think there was the potential for it, you know, perhaps, you know, if this came up in a later episode or if they had come back to this in the course of the series, you know, maybe in discussions with Kess or with Janeway, because I think that could have been particularly powerful. Um, I think he could have gotten the redemption that, that he's looking for, whether he knows he's looking for it or not. But this brings to mind another question for me, which is, should this change the way people look at Neelix? And by people, I mean, either the crew or the viewers. Because it, it makes me think, well, maybe this is the why the reason why Neelix goes overboard with the morale thing. You know, maybe this is why he's so jovial because he's hiding this deep-seated guilt from this particular incident, maybe. What do you think? I've never even thought of that. And now that you said it, it's like it makes perfect sense, man. Uh, absolutely. Um then again, we don't know a whole lot about the Talaxian culture and the Talaxian people. Is he just a happy-go-lucky guy, kind of like you, I jest? <laughs> um, it's a great question, and, and I never would have thought of that for a second until you just brought it up. So now I gotta—I I don't really have an answer because I got to think about that. Um, again, I could go back to we never really saw – after this meaty episode with Neelix, where it was so well performed and has a great story and everything like that, that I can think of, we don't have another one of these to, to fall back on and say, oh, this is, this is Neelix. This is what he's all about. So it's kind of hard for me to, to, to decide, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I thought that this could have been a really powerful direction for the Neelix character after, yeah. you know, 10 or 12 episodes of, you know, of him sort of being the guide of sorts or, mm-hmm. you know, the the cook or, you know, Captain Leola Root. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, and this is the kind of thing that really gets me angry about Voyager, you know, because why weren't there more moments like this? Why didn't the Voyager regulars, especially the human crew, get more substance like this? And this is part of the reason I've had such a hard time connecting with Voyager, you know, because the characters to me have largely seemed two dimensional. Um, and I think that that more issues like this, aside from Janeway, because Janeway gets a lot to do and experiences a lot of things, you know, if we had had more meaty things like this for Harry Kim or Chakotay or or even Kess when she was there. Because I don't think that the Kess stuff was all that interesting when the character was on the show. I think that this really could have changed how people, or how some people perceive Voyager. Um, that's just that's just my two cents. I agree with that. I, I don't I don't think there's anything in that statement that I would disagree with. Um, I've always felt that Kess was a character that was did not have really much to do except um, walk around. Okay, I got to say this. I'm sorry. Love the I love the actress. You know, she did a great job. I can't stand watching her walk. <laughs> she what? Her walk is so weird. Every time she walks and she's walking into a room or walking down the hall, it's just like, okay, something's funny about her walk, and I can't concentrate on what's going on in the rest of the scene because I'm just so distracted by it. Isn't that the strangest well, thing you've ever heard? Dan, she just barely learned how to walk. She's like a year old. <laughs> Come on, Dan. All right, I'm sorry. What one-year-old is good at walking, I ask you? (laughs) I ask myself what one-year-old is good at talking every time we record together, sir. Yeah, because you're really terrible at it. Thank you. Thank you. I knew that's what's going to (laughs) happen. You know, if if Jatrell is an episode you haven't seen recently, you really should treat yourself and go back and watch it. If for no other reason than the scenes between Ethan Phillips and James Sloyan, because they are a treat, you know, first season episodes for Star Trek, regardless of the series can, can take a lot of heat because the, you know, the characters aren't as developed or the stories just aren't there. And this story is there and these characters are there in this episode. And I think it's just, it's so very well done that, you know, if I were sitting somebody down to, and I, I, I happen to, to throw a Voyager episode at them to explain what Star Trek is. This might be the one I'd use. Without a doubt. I think it is the Voyager episode, at least in thinking about all the different ones that are good. This is the definition of a Star Trek episode and what Star Trek is supposed to be all about. I would definitely choose this. Of course, it's funny when you say when you're going to sit somebody down and, and tell them why they should watch Voyager, that we actually have that discussion. But I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Yet we I, digress. Love Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> you love Voyager. I'm kind of lukewarm on it. <laughs> you know, I'll be honest. But, you know, with with episodes like this, I mean, you know, you have to love this episode. Even if you're not a huge Voyager fan, you know, there is a lot to love here. Um, and it's definitely worth, worth the watch at least a couple of times. So, Dan, what else is worth your time and your, your considered effort is listening to five-year mission. Our friends, the band, they provide every ounce of music that you hear on Trek Geeks. We're so grateful to them every single week. Of course, their drummer, their their percussive force, if you will. Andy Fark was on last week's episode with the Seattle Skip It. And uh, we love those guys. Their year four is now coming next month, Dan. It's going to be in our hot little hands. And we're going to be dropping all kinds of year four 
tracks here on Trek Geeks oh, as bumpers. Nice. And I just, I cannot wait. We want everyone to head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Please download every single last one of their albums in preparation. I'm telling you, you're going to become a huge fan of this band because their music is fantastic. Hashtag percussive force. That was, that's a keeper, buddy. I like it. Very, very good. Thank you. Um, you know, yeah, as, as you said, um, we, we had Fark on, uh, just last week, we had a great time with him. You know, we talked about Voyager today, but I think it's important that as we celebrate the 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine, we just have to give a huge shout out to what I think is one of the best episodes of season one of Deep Space Nine. We talk about season one, Jatrell, we're on Voyager, we talk also season one, Duet, I said I was going to bring it up again, and here it is. So, you know, that is a classic episode, Bill. You love it. I love it. Kira and Maritza square off in such amazing fashion, very similar to Neelix and Jatrell in this episode. Um, but who is Maritza? Who is he really, Bill? You know, is he simply a, a drummer, or is he that notorious butcher of Galatep who murdered thousands of innocent people? It's a question that, you know, it, it's a tough question. Is he Maritza? Or is he Gulfar Keel? I don't know. Uh, I I I just don't know. Oh my god. Gulfar Keel. Uh, that's were you even trying? Next week on Trek Geeks. <laughs> <laughs> no, not next week on Trek Geeks. Um yeah, so five year mission.net getting back to what we were talking about. Um, yeah, we just, you know, they're writing one song for each episode of the original series. I mean, granted, they did one album on Spock's brain, which is fantastic. Right. You know, it's one of my favorite albums on my iPod, you know, as all their stuff is. But, you know, that's uh, I the amount of work that goes into the albums they put out for other Star Trek fans is just tremendous. So fiveyearmission.net, please download all their music. Dan, speaking of next week... We're going to take a look at one of our favorite adventures featuring the crew from the original series. Yeah, I'm excited about this. It is movie time here on Trek Geek. So next week, what we're going to do is, you know, it was the last of the films with the original crew, actually. And to quote the amazing Christopher Plummer, they have thrilled us with their adventures, amazed us with their discoveries, and inspired us with their courage. For at the end of history lies... The Undiscovered Country. Next week on an all-new episode of Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Wow, that was almost Shakespearean. That was fantastic. Can I tell you, the first time I saw that trailer in a theater, you know, the one that superimposes all the clips from the original series on mm -hmm. over the Enterprise, mm -hmm. I got tears in my eyes, I'm not going to lie, because TOS never looked so good on the big screen. It was fantastic. I can tell you without a doubt, I love trailers. My wife can't stand the fact that I love trailers so much. That is my favorite movie trailer of all time. I never get I bored of that. I didn't know that. That's amazing. And I didn't know for a long time that that was Christopher Plummer doing the voiceover. When I found that out, I was even more excited. I just, I just, and you're right. I can tear up every time I watch that trailer because it is so perfect. Oh, I knew that was Plummer instantly at the time. I just didn't know he was in the movie. Yeah, I, I wasn't a Plummer I didn't know much about Christopher Plummer at that time. Um, so yeah, but it, he's, it's got such a fantastic, fantastic narration in that trailer. It's just beautiful. 
Well, lots to talk about for next week then. Dan, of course, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to head on out to the Tricorder Transmissions online at the tricordertransmissions.com. They have a brand new podcast dropping, I think either this week or next, called Trek Profiles mm. with our friend John Krikorian. I'm very excited about this. I had no idea he was going to do a podcast. It's fantastic. I can't wait to listen to it. It's going to be great. I heard the preview for their Patreon backers because I am a Patreon backer of the Tricorder Transmissions and I'm proud to be one. And uh, it's just going to be even more great content from these fantastic people over at Tricorder. So please check them out at the TricorderTransmissions.com. And of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit our dear friends at TrekNews.net. For now, this has been episode 132 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. For at the end of history lies the undiscovered coconut. Your face is an undiscovered coconut. What? Bong, it's Sunday morning, so that means one thing. Bing bong. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, this is, this is taking quite the turn. Yes. I, that's, that's one, of the, one of the benefits of recording in the morning is I have a very big range in my voice. I can go really low or I can go really high, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. <laughs> my eardrums appreciate that. Let me ask you this. Sure, sure. Since it is morning, um, what to, what you drinking? Okay, well, you saw my wonderful tweet yesterday about the new flavors that I got at Parker's, Parker's Maple House. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know that I, I call it wonderful, but yes. let's let's press on. Yeah, they're all maple flavored, various different flavors. So this morning, special since we were recording, I was going to go with the maple coconut because I know that you would love it. Um, so I grabbed the K cup and I put it in the Keurig machine that my sister has and I close it up and a message comes up on the screen. Oops, this is not an official Keurig cup. Please use one with the official Keurig label. So, <laughs> yeah. There's a way around that. There's there is. There's two ways around that. There is. I just didn't have time to do it. So I poured myself some uh, cinnamon sugar Christmas cookie or whatever the heck it's called. The one that my I got my wife like 78 boxes and I'm having one of those. <laughs> I um. Yeah, because some of those maple flavors sounded downright nasty when you posted that photo yesterday. There are some I mean, weird like, I seriously wanted to hurl. That's how bad they were. <laughs> I'll try let, anything maple flavored, man. Let me let me run through the list here. All right. So you should be posting a photo of eight different K-Cups, which are all best by somewhere between 2019 and 2020. And uh, you've got some maple nut fudge. <laughs> Maple bacon. It's perhaps the only way you can take bacon and make it worse. <laughs> maple cream, which sounds kind of weird. Uh, sugar maple. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, plain maple. I don't know what the difference is between the other two and this one, but this one's just plain maple. Maple pumpkin. <laughs> maple pecan. And lastly, 
the one you just mentioned, maple coconut, which makes me throw up in my mouth a little. I'm not going to lie. Those were all very well read, except for one. You were a little Which incorrect. One. one was it maple pecan? It's not maple yeah. pecan. It's maple pecan. No, I hate I hate you so much right now. <laughs> yeah, the maple pumpkin one sounds a little odd, but that's one of the reasons why I decided to get the whole ten pack or Wait, however many packs it is. You don't think the others sound odd? Nah. Nah, they're all normal. Well, maple coconut's not really something, but all the other ones are regular maple flavors. Maple cream, maple uh, sugar maple, maple bacon. I like maple bacon. I don't know what your problem is. Anything with it. You know, you could have like, I don't know, like, I don't know, fish juice bacon, and I'd probably eat it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to hear the difference between maple cream, sugar maple, and maple. Yeah, the probably is yeah. <laughs> yeah, the difference is how many of these they can charge you for. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? They're local. Love them. I'll give them the cash. And uh, I just got to get the K-Cups to work, and then I'll be even happier. <laughs> uh, look at you supporting small business with crappy coffee. That's fantastic. I, uh, I'm i actually drinking a brew from uh, Caribou Coffees called Caramel Hideaway. That sounds delightful. It's actually quite nice. I don't know that I've ever really had it before. New box of K cups got open. It's like mm, nom nom nummy. That's awesome. I can uh, I can I can give you a thumbs up on that one. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. I'm just here to help. So I have to tell you that, um, and you'll appreciate this. My wife, who has been getting over um, a, a small bout of pneumonia after while I've been having a cold, has started binge watching Game of Thrones. Nice. She's tried twice before, so I guess the third time is a charm. And we are probably about halfway through season two right now. Very nice. And yeah, I'm waiting for her to get to season three. Mm-hmm. The Red Wedding. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Now, you have to, you have to do this because my nephew did it. And so, so many people have done it. But my nephew did it for my, my brother-in-law. And it's one of the funniest videos I've ever seen. When the Red Wedding is on, without her knowing, you have to record her as she's watching it on your phone. Yeah, I remember seeing reaction videos like that, like the day after it happened, because I had faces that were quite similar. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm shutting my mouth. I mean, there's so much that happens in the early seasons that I forget came back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's you know. a it's a great it's a great series. I've I've loved it. I was really worried about watching it when we first started because I'm a little slow. You know, I'm, I'm pack led. I know. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, and trying to remember all the names and and regions and everything, I'm like, this is just not going to work. It's Sir Sir Galahad of Grindman or whatever the heck it is. I'm just, I'm just like, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I love it. I'm glad we stuck with it because it's an awesome show. I really enjoy it. Uh, me too, man. It's so exciting. I uh, it's it's fun to watch her watching it too because she's she's definitely got some favorite characters right now, which is which is great too. And speaking of great shows. Uh, yeah. The four of us, Sue, Donna, Chris, and I are in season three of Longmire. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I didn't know if I was going to like it at first. It is phenomenal. And anybody who's listening, you know, <laughs> check it out. It's it's great, great, great storytelling. Is it great? It's great. Where are you in that show right now? Season three. We just finished episode two. Wow. So you're yeah. cruising right through it. Yeah, we're watching. We're trying to watch at least one a night, if not uh, if not two. And it's it's phenomenal. Love it. You're phenomenal. Your face is phenomenal. 
I know that. Wow, well, I, I was like, "Wow, did I lose him?" <laughs> I, I just—it was—it was dramatic pause. It was—it was a Kirkism, you know. Very we dramatic. Have, we have Farkisms. We might as well throw Kirkisms in every once in a while. Oh, she almost got me again there. Jeez, I—I'm off my game today. Got to be on your toes with me. Hey, we did lose an hour of sleep last night. Oh, I lost more than that. My God, I lost your face. What? That doesn't even make sense. I know it doesn't, but it just feels so right. Your face doesn't make sense. That makes sense. Shut up. All right, let's do this. Send your shit. <laughs> I'm going to throw one of those in there at some point today. We've been doing that all week. <laughs> Poor Admiral Dougherty. Send your ships. Send your ships. Jean-Luc, we're only talking about 600 people. I'll keep going. How many does it take, Admiral? <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> All right. I, I don't know if I'm ready to do this, but let's do this. I'm ready for Dr. Jatrell. Let's do it. 